This podcast is brought to you by Counting Up. Counting Up is the business current account that does the books. Your sole trader clients get banking and accounting software in one app. You get real-time, accurate cloud accounting data that will save you time. To find out more, visit countingup.com. Shall we begin? On this week's exciting edition of the No Account for Taste podcast, we explore the role of a CFO, Marks and Spencer's IR35, and also the coronavirus. I'm Richard Hatsley, and I'm delighted to introduce you to this week's guests. Up first, we have a returning guest to the pod hot seat. It's the three-time Accountant Excellence Award winner, an all-round nice guy, it's Alistair Barlow. Thanks very much, Richard. Great to be here. Uh, thanks for joining us, Alistair. And we also have Accounting Web Royalty. It's my partner in crime. It's John Stockdyke. Uh, morning, Richard. I like to think it's a democratic collective, uh, but uh, <laughs> thanks anyway. And uh, I, I guess the, 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 the first place to start in today's podcast is a story that's not just rocked the accountancy profession, but has also become a worldwide issue. Yes, I'm talking about the coronavirus. Um, I hope everyone's washed their hands today. Alistair, have you got your hand sanitizer, John? Three bottles with me, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the the main victim so far of the coronavirus has been uh, QuickBooks Connect. Unfortunately, QuickBooks Connect was supposed to um, happen this week. Um, While we're taping this very uh, podcast, so it's going to have to be a bit of a virtual uh, <laughs> connect, isn't it? Absolutely, and uh, yeah, QuickBooks took the difficult decision to cancel its flagship event um, due to an abundance of caution, the attendees were expecting to see big-ticket keynote speakers such as uh, boxing heavyweight champion Anthony Joshua, uh, The Apprentice star Karen Brady, and, of course, Alistair Bilo. Oh, how brilliant to be in their league, eh? <laughs> I, know, I don't think I don't they feel think the so. same. <laughs> um, so, yeah, a, a, a big thing, really, for QuickBooks Connect then to... Um, uh, to shut the conference and it, it really just shows the seriousness I guess of having a public space like this and loads of people there mm. yeah I, and I think I think probably uh, you know they were being cautious I suspect the venue may have mm. made made advisements and, and you know insurers and the other people so but it's a it's a big hit you know that I, I think we've had trouble getting through to the people at, uh, into it just because you know the logistics of putting on such a show are humongous imagine kind of de-escalating and standing everyone down you know so so yeah they've been pretty busy but there was a lot we were looking forward to that's a product as well as all the speeches you know there were some interesting product announcements uh, coming through that we were keeping our eyes out so what sort of product announcements were we expecting john uh, it was the stuff probably trailed in the u.s in november but there was the cash flow planner uh, that was that has been announced that is now live so that's very much following the um the sort of lead, or not a lead, but but emulating and doing what Zero's done with its cash flow planner, and this is they're connecting it to Open Banking Link. So from live bank feeds and the transaction data, there is an automated system that will construct a 30-day or a 90-day cash flow for businesses. So that's very much the style of this spring. And is this just unwinding the balance sheet or is it looking, is it doing anything that some of the other apps on the market such as Fluidly are doing in Intelligent or is it just unwinding what's in the balance sheet? I think it's, in, I think it's intelligent. Mm. I think it's looking at transactions. Mm. So, it's, it's, so, you know, cash flow is based on what's mm. coming in, what's coming out. Um, but I, th I think if you jabbed at it, 
pointedly, and, and, and the people who specialize in the area, like Fluidly, Float, and the others, I think they'd be saying, you know, uh, I think banking will give you the recurring transactions, but things like um, tax, expected tax payments, and the, you know, the, the really nuanced cash flow analysis, you know, you need to go to specialists, but uh, mm. they do endorse it, you know, they have to put up with it. Cause so it's always difficult, isn't it, cash flow, because there's this huge data bias to what actually exists in a, in, a, in a finance system at the moment. Um, and you, you can't, a machine can't yet extract from someone's head of if they get five million pounds investment, what are they gonna do with it? That's, that's the big, oh. for, for us certainly, the, the kind of data bias of yeah. what's there and what's not is the big but, I mean, challenge. You know, does the cash flow planner excite you? Is it something you'll test out and try and maybe recommend to? I think uh, from, from, a, from a kind of very basic, what do the next 30, 60 days look like? It can, it can help there. Um, we use some of the other tools on the market for um, kind of, you know, maybe a 12 month view, but actually when it comes to a more strategic view of the business in terms of if I get five, if this, if that, if I get five million pound investment, I'm gonna hire 10 people, uh, set up a new office somewhere else or a new a new studio and that sort of thing, then actually all those all those kind of strategic levers, you they, they don't work in those applications, unfortunately, yet. Yeah. Kind of the business drivers, you know. But for both QuickBooks and Zero, it's a first step. Into oh, the I think absolutely, yeah. and you know, it all starts with the first step. Yeah. There's there's QuickBooks account uh, online accountant was we were keeping an eye out for a few things. So there's some, I think the main thing there is a bookkeeping review tool that uh, sounds not dissimilar to what Receipt Bank probably offered you, you know, but but they're planning to. So that's the basic again minimum viable implementation. Mm -hmm. They're adding stuff to that all along, but they're talking about doing a sort of scoring system for how how efficient your, your clients are mm. and ultimately opt, helping to optimize them so you know more on the way it is it's cloud software it's always evolving but those are some interesting i like it that's really great because when we look at the finance functions about control efficiency and insight and if you're if you're identifying where you can be much more efficient you can release that time and be more insightful yeah. and add value so. although you know we were talking to uh, your fellow accounting web live uh, board member uh, Jonathan Gaunt yep. who set up Xavier so so in some way you know Xavier's you know QuickBooks uh, is is sort of taking you know that's what software houses do anything cool what, and new yeah, yeah, you know exactly. people just pick up and appropriate and, and Xavier doing a great job obviously based here in Bristol doing a great job just won an award this week Zero as well award winners. yeah congratulations uh, emerging Xavier. app of the year yeah. yeah although we're talking about QuickBooks Sorry, apps this back, week back, as well back to just, the, you know, back we, to the we, stuff. We, they, no, no, we, we talk about them all in this here and finally I think receipt capture there's other stuff you know coming through the app so so you know I mean on that it, it is there is this massive feature war uh, mm. going on between the platforms are you pretty agnostic and you'll take what the clients do or do you think you favor you know would you put your money on either one of those so our approach when we set up was uh, client first uh, understand the functional requirements of a business and um, if they're running on something and, and it's and, and there's no need to change them leave them as as they are if functionally they're missing there's a, there's a gap there and when we do a fit gap analysis let's move them and migrate them on mm -hmm. to something else so in terms of our uh, we're, we're, we use Zero, QuickBooks, and uh, Accounts IQ actually for the more complex enterprise solutions that might need, you know, embedded consolidation or, or that type of stuff. We're, we tend to be more Zero, um, but I think it, it, it comes down to what the business needs. If there's a functional requirement that one of the softwares delivers, then we would go with that. But yeah. if you look at the way they're competing, if there is a functional gap, you can bet within six months it'll be yeah. closed. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. It makes it an intense bit. You know, this is the springtime. You know, everyone's looking at those apps right now, and uh, it's you know such a pity for our sake that, that all those people can't get proper f half, 
hands-on look at QuickBooks uh, online. It is, it is. And I was just going to say, you know, also, it's a great opportunity for people to network as well. So, you know, QuickBooks bringing everybody together in the profession and, and hearing those speakers, hearing those announcements and actually just networking with each yeah. other and, and having those conversations. Well, instead of networking, we now have accountants considering self-isolation instead as a way of getting around um, the coronavirus. And it's even um, happened on Accountant Web, the conversation has uh, expanded with Lone Wolf saying that they um, they are going against the norm of self-isolation. They've said that working from home isn't ideal for them. Um, they said that um, they've got kids that can cause interruptions, but then on balance, they're probably less irritating than some of their colleagues. <laughs> and um, uh, DJ KL, well known to many people on the Accounting Web, Any Answers Forum, said that uh, they would never have been able to work from home without a study. For one thing, it's the only bit of the house where I could enjoy a cigar when I smoke them. Uh, but they're now they're part of the pipe economy drive. Um, so people are sort of grappling with this idea now. Jennifer Adams, who started this discussion, is a big advocate of um, working from home, um, saying it's a savings in travel costs, time, the environmental effects that it could uh, help and also do we need to be um, shackled to the desk from nine to five um, so this, the coronavirus perhaps is making some accountants reconsider the idea of remote working what do you think about that Alistair one benefit perhaps from the coronavirus yeah um, obviously a terrible situation for us all to be in but I think um, from, from our I mean it depends what type of firm you are as to whether you need to be uh, in the office or not I think like everything in life there's a balance our firm, we are, we can be remote if needed at a drop of a hat because we were designed in the cloud. We were designed to be remote, flexible working. Um, so for us, you know, we, we, we have a mixture of people working from home at any one point in time, people working from the office and people working from clients because we're like kind of much more embedded with our clients. And equally, we have people working from ski resorts, you know, when, when we're away or, or on holiday. And that's kind of just the philosophy we have. But what I do think is important is that if people are remote working, there still needs to be this contact center or somehow to have contact. And, you know, as, as social beings, we, we, we kind of crave that. And I think um, certainly from my perspective, kind of, you know, leading Flinder, I want our people to collaborate. There are tools that do that, Zoom, Slack, Skype, whatever it might be. But actually, there's nothing... Uh, nothing better than face-to-face -face collaboration. It's much more efficient, much more effective. But then again, you are balancing the way off. You've got the way off of travel time and that sort of stuff. So I think, like anything in life, it's a balance. But from our perspective at Flinder, remote working is it can be done at literally drop of a hat. I mean, it, it's it's there's a particular edge and you know personal safety issue to this before. But we've had we've had kind of analogous situations. You know, the big snowstorms and, and floods we've had more recently where. You know, we see it in our members that say, you know, their practice is disrupted. The power goes out or they just can't get access. So it's, it's a pretty simple business continuity issue. And if you just look at, the, you know, if you take the, th the threat could be viral, it could be climactic. But you think, you know, if there were things w which will prevent your people from getting to your office, are you equipped to cope in those situations? And I think good contingency planning sets in there. If you have been through the snows before go to the same mode mm. um, and like you say communication it, I think it you know we've seen it in the accounting excellence awards the the flexible working arrangements are were prevalent about 30 of the 33 percent of the entrance last year and like you say you know it's sensible it's what employees want these days like Jennifer mm. uh, but you know, the management controls like you can't look at them and 
pluck them in and out of their desks mm. or you might watch their software. Um, but I think it's 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 a gr- having clarity about the goals, what they're achieving, you know, th- th- all those things, and that's maybe a whole separate practice management challenge. But what you do in this situation is just the housekeeping business continuity. You should have f- already formulated your strategy of what you would do in a situation like this, whatever the the actual trigger for your your kind of. I think uh, pro- probably the, the the harder part of the equation is you know a lot of kind of firms cloud you know we're talking about QuickBooks um, Connect that's driven this uh, or in, the enablement of people to work remote. But actually, if you look at our clients, you know our clients could be across different sectors, and some could be physical retail stores, and some could be travel companies. You know, look at Flybe for example um, overnight. And, and those those are industries where they require people to be there in person to spend that money physically, uh, and and actually our clients might be bigger, uh, harder hit than we are. And funny you should mention there about retail stores, Alistair, because that brings us on to our next uh, topic today, which is about Marks and Spencers. Which you mentioned some of the issues which some um, uh, stores are having, and it seems like Marks and Spencers is one one of them which has sort of suffered recently. I think they've recently been knocked out of the FTSE 100 and. They've also replaced their CFO, and you kindly wrote an, uh, a really in-depth piece for us about what their new CFO has in store for them. So would you be able to give us a quick overview as to what's actually happening with uh, the high street giant M&S? Yeah, Richard. So, you know, everybody probably has heard of Marks & Spencers and shopped in Marks & Spencers or been dragged around Marks & Spencers. <laughs> Certainly I was as a child yeah. um, in Edinburgh. So. Some of us used to work for Marks & Spencers. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Um, not as the CFO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish. There's, yeah, a, there's, yeah. A, there's a growing list of that. But yeah, so, um, you know, a few months ago, uh, end of 2019, Marks & Spencers, founding member of the FTSE 100, fell out for the first time uh, in, in over 30 years, 35 years. Um, that that was obviously a big wake up call to kind of what's going on, and it's had it's had a number of woes uh, in the past. You know, declining profit, hugely declining profitability, um, and there's there's been this been this shift over time towards um, food, and you, you know you can't can't stop at BP petrol station without seeing simply food, or they're dotted in around London, and I'm sure Bristol as well. Fantastic food, but actually. How does that compare with with kind of the, the clothing side of things? And and Jamie and I uh, went into Marks and Spencers up at Moorgate, and we, we we filmed a couple of, of snippets. The the basement was heaving in the food hall, mm. and you have to walk through the whole store to get back out. And the clothing department was empty. Mm. One security guard in there. That was it. But but why has this come about? Well, um, you know, par- partly probably because of the Ocado deal. So those those that don't know, uh, Ocado and Waitrose had this tie in, and that that will that will expire towards the end of this year to raise funds for that and the joint venture with Ocado, Marks and Spencers, the, there was 750 million of consideration for that. So rights issue to raise some of that capital, um, diluting uh, you know, shareholders and, and actually dropped the value um, quite considerably and knocked them out the FTSE 250. Um, that was uh, the then CFO, um, Humphrey Singer, who's since moved on to um, Autoglass. Um, and now their incoming, so they've got an interim CFO at the moment, but their incoming CFO, Ewan Tong, his background, interestingly, isn't retail, but it's B2B uh, food, sandwiches, hmm. uh, 14, 15 years. Um, so that kind of gives an indication of the direction Marks and Spencers are thinking, or certainly that Steve Rose thinking in terms of the strategy um, and the kind of the heavy emphasis towards food. I mean, who's, who's going to help and prop up the, the clothing side of things? Um, 
So yes, yeah, so that's that's a bit of a synopsis about uh, to, where the article. To link our stories, I think I, my partner's been doing some travel insurance shopping and uh, ended up kind of with Marks and Spencer as an mm. online deal. I'd sort of be interested if um, you know the clicks and mortar strategy, how how much and and looking at the online Alcado deal, how much they'll shift to online. But and that that sort of overlaps as well with your HMV article from uh, the month before as well as you know, around the how they adapt to these different environments. So, so the world is changing, you know, we, we, we've shifted to very much buying on the internet, but actually what people are wanting or looking for is experiences in stores. So rather going into a store and buying something physically, they want that experience in store and to combine this kind of clicks and mortar, um, this, this whole experience. So, you know, how do M&S reinvent themselves as being much more experiential, such as HMV and the HMV article, how the, you know, the third owner, owner in three years is trying to become much more of an experience with um, bands playing and you know a, a place for people to congregate this kind of social um, uh, requirement to, to, to be amongst people and to, to have these experiences because the generation that's coming up want the experiences that's that's what they value a lot more and one of the things about Mark Spencer's is their demographics so you know their demographics is aging but actually not getting the younger population through the door and a really interesting aspect about this uh, Mark Spencer's article is the is what you picked up about around the role of the CFO. And you mentioned how the former CFO was singing in particular. Um, he was in this lonely position where um, he was responsible for a variety of things from group financial performance, IT, investor relations, data governance. And it really questions what it actually means to be a CFO in this day and age. It's, um, I think we, we likened it to being like a chameleon now. A CFO has to be more than just the numbers guy. CFO has many hats these days. It really, really is. I think my view is the CFO is in a unique position because of their skill set, because of that. Um, you know, there's a very technical role around the CFO in terms of uh, financial reporting, uh, governance, investor relations, all those traditional things that the CFO would look after. But actually, because of the skill set of analysis that they've been used to, the world's changed, uh, you know, and it's much more digital and much more data driven. And so actually, quite often, they're becoming, you know, head of data, head of digital, head of data governance. And in a, any retailer, they have so many data points on their customers. And actually, that's the way they'll drive drive business forward to understand those data points. And actually, as, as you were saying, John, about, uh, you know, the, the, the travel insurance, you know, M&S does have different branches. Uh, and... You know, buying or, or joint venturing with Ocado is very much about their proprietary technology. It's about combining combining those different um, customer data points to cross sell and really increase the lifetime value of a customer uh, with the same customer acquisition cost. So all, overall, your LT CAC to LTV ratio is considerably improving, and the CFO is driving both agendas yeah. on the digital and on the finance. But, side but they are under this sort of awful pressure because that's it's all kind of core business strategy you know number you know sorry it's not you know, analytic skills to be more accurate um one of the fts i talked to it was a few years ago but, but she she worked for a big software company was saying well my job basically is, is you know she's a bit like a journalist my job is to go in and find out about the stuff that nobody else knows anything about you know it's like there's a compliance issue there's some new regulatory thing it hr you know go and find out and report back to us it's <laughs> in so in, whether it's at a former FTSE mm. 250 company like M&S or, or our place or, or many others, it's the FD always ends up 
Well, you mentioned of, HR, right? Yeah. So maybe not in the in the, the when you've got eighty thousand people in Martin Spencer's, but certainly the the FD or CFO of an SME, HR will quite often report into yeah. them. Uh, and then in larger companies, you know, this buzzword around transformation and consulting projects, mm-hmm. they tend to be the ones driving transformation program programs as well because. You know, they're the ones creating the, 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 the plan for it in terms mm-hmm. of the, the realization of benefits program. Um, but also, it's, 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 they are the ones that have to have yeah. those transformation projects. But I think, I think um, the, we ran a report kind of from Deloitte. It was a NetSuite, NetSuite uh, in, uh, report as well, but saying there is that risk that, that all these extraneous things will distract the, ex- the finance executive from the day job. You know, if you've got mm. so much noise in your in tray, Will you actually have time to, and, and space to focus on the strategic direction? That's and actually, a great article to pick up on the role of CFOs, the Kraft Heinz one, in terms of how important this, a strong CFO, still having the bedrock of finance experience, is because their, their share price um, took a big tumble, didn't it? No, absolutely. Article. And um, for the for Marks and Spencers, it's quite the challenge, though, to see if they make it back to the FTSE 100. It's uh, a challenge for any CFO, but. If, if, if there's an ambitious one, it's, uh, the, uh, as you mentioned there, Alistair, the, uh, it's got huge upside. Have we got a footballing analogy here? You know, <laughs> is there some team, in, is it uh, Derby County, can they get back into the, uh, the Premier League? I, I think it's a great opportunity for Tong to, to you know, really try and grasp because in many ways it, it's fallen out. It's, it's Marks and Spencers, you know, whether you shop there or not, it's, it's a great, great high street brand, British high street brand. Who wouldn't want to take that role and try and, you know, with this new Ocado deal, really try and propel them back up into be a much more digitally focused business? Um, well, thanks very much. And that brings us on to our final topic of today, which is IR35. And um, IR35, I think it's a regular uh, discussion point now in every podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, IR35 and, of course, the budget as well. Uh, coming up just next week... Um, so IR35 this week had a little bit of uh, extra news as uh, Rishi Sunak, our dear Chancellor, spoke at an event in Birmingham and he revealed that the private sector reforms will have a soft landing when they come into effect in April. Um, of course, many people may be happy around the, um, about the idea of there being HMRC not being heavy-handed in this first year, but... Some critics also argued that this means that it's going to result in no changes at all, and that was the uh, case when HMRC released their recent uh, guidance last last week as well, which just uh, cemented the fact that it's full steam ahead now, IR35 coming in in April. Yeah, I mean, the review confirmed there would, you know, made official what of Chancellor said, but it was um, there would be a soft landing, although it only applied to penalties. I think if there's tax due, um, the you know the contractor or the the engager actually, I think it was was more concerned it wouldn't wouldn't uh, affect that, um, and um, yeah, no, there, you know, basically I, I'm trying to remember all the detail from the comments and things. But the accounting web members, the ten, we've we've had the review. It's it's kind of been preempted the budget this is something i was actually doing budget preview work and mm. expecting to see the results of the review in there but pretty much the review it's they've it's been it's gone it's out i think they're putting it into you know the maybe there's some timetabling issues they've got to get it out as early as possible which is amenable even if the policy isn't that welcome um 
but but it's also possibly politically taking some flack away from whatever is announced on the yeah. day. You know, so we're coming up to the budget then on the 11th of March. I, assuming now I-35 has been parceled up, it's now where we're moving to one side. Mm-hmm. There may be a few last-minute tinkering perhaps, but um, there may be other things which the Chancellor may uh, tackle first of all. So, John, what do you expect um, it Any is sort of last-minute predictions? Last-minute predictions. Um, I think I have this image of Sunak coming in, kind of doing one of those go, stop, if improve reviews. You know, So, so IR35, mm. that's got the go, but they've actually pushed out the door early. Uh, I think there's a few other things. Um, that essentially, I think the stuff that's going to get, that is in train, is, is going to go. That will be, and it'll probably be limited down to the stuff they really need to sort of get in the finance bill now um, and get out the door, and again minimise anything too tricksy. So, the things that maybe need work, he wants a bit more time to think of. That's the stuff we'll look for in November. But entrepreneurs' relief, the jungle drums are thrumming about that. It's, uh, it's not just been a kite flying exercise; it's been like a blimp flying exercise. It's yeah. been that obvious over the last few yeah. weeks. Yeah. So, so will they? When it probably will be just a, a grandstand announcement and mm-hmm. with consultation to follow. If if, if previous precedents or anything to go by, uh, there there's a, the loan charge. There were hints that that there'd be tweaks to that. Um, again, that would. That would be run the risk of raising some flack, um, mm. you know, from unwanted sources. So maybe I think that'll that'll be uh, down. Uh, inheritance tax. This is, they, it, they want they do want lots of money to um, uh, pay for all these infrastructure investments and the leveling of north and south. So so you know look for improvement programs or just maybe shake loose a billion or two for the the exchequer that they can then put towards some headline grabbing stunts um, but it, it's it's i think it will be quite business-like kind of brusque cut down you know the budget ep mm. edition against the uh, the big album launch at the end of the year <laughs> so we've got sort of the, the teaser coming up but it's been so long since we've had a budget so there may be a few rabbits out of the hat or it, it, just the idea of having a budget is enough yeah, yeah, it's 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 yeah. Some of it, yeah. It's it's a bit of a of an addiction, I guess. Dare I say it? So you know, we're we're you know, it may not be the most happy experience, or it's a it's a long day. But uh, some of us probably are just just about ready for our fix now. Well, we'll be there on the counter web to uh, report on every rabbit that might be pulled out of any hat come budget day. So be sure to stay tuned to accountweb.co.uk for all your budget news on uh, March the 11th. And that's sadly all we got time for today on No Account for Taste. I'd like to thank John for coming along and also Alistair Barlow as well for joining us on today's podcast. Until next time, I've been Richard Hattersley and we'll see you again on No Accounting for Taste. This podcast is brought to you by Counting Up. Counting Up is the business current account that does the books. Your sole trader clients get banking and accounting software in one app. You get real-time, accurate cloud accounting data that will save you time. To find out more, visit countingup.com.